The preacher's task is to interpret scripture as he or she sees it. Mine is not the word of God, but rather a clumsy attempt at translation. And I just wanna say, before we get started, that if you ever disagree with something I say up here, that's okay. That's to be expected. I'm not infallible, but I try to be faithful. And it's not that I'm not confident in my own convictions, but rather in the United Church of Christ, we are all entitled and invited to our own. So I'm going to address some complicated social issues today, and I'll ask for your grace as we strive to wrestle with them together. Now, Jesus was a healer. He healed blindness, leprosy, and paralysis. In this story, Jesus heals a different kind of disease, a sort of soul sickness, taking a greedy tax collector and turning him into a faithful disciple. You see, in those days, being a tax collector was not like working for the IRS. It was more like working for the mafia. Tax collectors were glorified bagmen for the Roman Empire, extortionists who preyed on the poor, you know, that's a nice donkey you got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> now, Matthew, very same Matthew credited with authoring this gospel, was just such a man, a sick man in a sick society. Jesus offers a radical cure for them both. The gospel, the good news, which Matthew readily accepts. But the rest of the world isn't so easily convinced. A reading from Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I know that I have a rather self-deprecating sense of humor, and I'm probably guilty of that tired self-defense mechanism of criticizing myself before someone else has the opportunity. Now that being said, when it comes to bowling, I really am the worst. The absolute worst. I simply cannot seem to get the hang of it. The ball always goes straight into the gutter, scarcely even pretending to go anyplace else. And even though I'm not competitive by nature, I do have a certain stubborn pride, so I refuse to use the bumpers to keep the ball out of the gutter. It feels like cheating, right? I mean, 
what's the point of even playing if you're going to use the bumpers? Of course, my son Levi doesn't mind. The bumpers give him a sense of security and confidence and safety. But let me tell you, I did not feel safe when I reluctantly took him to the bowling alley last Sunday afternoon. I figured it wouldn't be any worse than going to the grocery store or even church, just a large indoor space where folks are masked and have no reason to take them off. But I was sorely mistaken. The place was plenty crowded, but there was nary a mask in sight, not even amongst the staff. And the few I did see were dangling from people's chins. I'd have run out of there immediately, but Levi was so looking forward to bowling that I, I just didn't have the heart to leave. I did, however, don a second mask and told him that we'd only be staying for one quick game. I bowled probably the worst game of my life, which is really saying something, because I was so fraught with anxiety. Looking around the place, time seemed to slow down. I saw strangers laughing ghoulishly in slow motion, stuffing their faces with pizza, soda, and beer oozing down their chins and pooling in the masks that hung there. Levi's bowling ball rolled down the lane like a tortoise, slowly inching its way toward the pins. Even with two masks on, I found myself frequently holding my breath, certain that the Omicron variant was drifting through the air, a toxic miasma that I could almost see in the glow of the neon lights. And looking around at all these people, I confess that I felt a little sanctimonious. Who goes bowling in the middle of a raging pandemic? Well, me, apparently. The only difference is I had a lower bowling score. As the game ended, Levi won, in case you were wondering, I rushed out of there with my son, desperate to seek asylum in the cold winter air outside. But in a world that feels like it's gone mad, asylum can be hard to find. Our national healthcare system is in crisis. Some will tell you that it's in free fall, on the precipice of total collapse. As of now, at the time of writing this, 85% of ICU beds in DuPage County are occupied. Statewide, that number climbs to 90%. And 90% of those folks aren't vaccinated, which tells you how preventable this situation was. After two years of trauma, nurses and doctors are at a breaking point. Also short-staffed, as more and more of them either leave their jobs or grow ill themselves. Stories abound of hospital emergency rooms filled with patients in dire distress. Folks suffering from heart attacks and internal bleeding are forced to read magazines or watch daytime television in the waiting room because there's no one to take care of them. But let's be honest for a moment now. None of this happened by accident. There are several factors, some matters of incompetence, others profiteering, that brought us here. Since day one, there has been a complete lack of a coordinated federal response to the pandemic. Politicians and talking heads alike downplayed it, politicized it, casted suspicion on the vaccines for political points, clickbait, and profit. 
Facebook made a fortune on anti-vaccine ads and knowingly allowed misinformation to proliferate on their site. As for television, according to Media Matters, a nonprofit media watchdog, the widely viewed Tucker Carlson pushed a claim that undermined vaccines in 113 of 114 episodes with vaccine segments on his show. And he still won't acknowledge if he's been vaccinated himself. I actually saw one of these segments uh, in a hotel lobby this summer uh, while I was waiting to check in. Uh, Carlson was on the screen talking about how vaccines can cause brain damage. Now, I'm pretty sure that's not true, but I can think of something else that'll rot your brain. Now look, I'm not saying that everyone has to get the shot. It's a personal choice. I get that. But to deliberately misinform people, to stoke their fears and profit off of their suffering, it just isn't right. And yet, and yet, this is only a symptom of a much deeper spiritual sickness, a plague of corruption that has lived among us endemic for a very long time. You see, our society and especially our leaders, seem determined to put profits before people. We've privatized basic needs like health care, which inevitably leads to exploitation. There's a story on the radio last month you probably heard about a guy who cut his hand and had to get some stitches, six sutures to be precise. The hospital billed him $6,500 in change, over $1,000 per stitch. And his health insurance only covered a small portion of that. And NPR just did a story about exorbitant medical bills, revealing that even if you use a hospital in your health insurance network, you might be treated by doctors who are outside of your network, unbeknownst to you, driving the costs through the roof. And what about the vaccine? Well, that's been privatized too. Despite the research being funded with taxpayer dollars, it's now been patented by Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca, or making a killing by selling it back to the government. Now granted, this is a really complicated issue. I'm not saying they don't deserve some degree of profit for manufacturing and distributing the vaccine, which of course I think is a good thing. But something about the arrangement just doesn't sit right. It just feels like we've adopted that tired corporate philosophy of maximizing shareholder value and applied it to absolutely everything without stopping to consider what value actually means, or that we are all shareholders of this society, of this world that we all live in. As the spiritual author David Price says, the soul sickness is endemic now. Our psychotherapists and soul doctors have their hands full, but adjusting people to a sick society is impossible in the end. Now, Matthew, the first century Jewish tax collector, inhabited a pretty sick society. Living under the boot of the Roman Empire, most of the politicians and religious leaders in ancient Judea had sold out their own people, serving as well-heeled cronies for the local Roman authorities. The Sadducees, who ran the temple in Jerusalem, sang Rome's praises while profiting off of expensive animal sacrifices. Herod, the so-called monarch of the region, was a puppet king who enjoyed a life of luxury funded by taxpayers. And Matthew, the tax collector, extorted the local Jews, his own countrymen, 
skimming money off the top and handing the rest over to the Romans. The whole system was corrupt. Always has been. Matthew, while less powerful than the Sadducees or Herod, was an integral cog in the machine. He was part of the problem until Jesus showed him a better way. Now, Jesus was criticized for even talking to Matthew. Tax collectors were basically gangsters for the Romans, like I said, not the sort of people you'd have dinner with. To which Jesus replies, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. It's a powerful metaphor, and while we might be tempted to take these words literally nowadays amidst a pandemic, they speak to a deeper spiritual malaise that I think we all share. Go and learn what this means, Jesus says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And yet, we've sacrificed so much, so many, at the altar of endless profit. That's why the earth is groaning beneath the weight of industrialization, why inequality is so stark, why democracy is threatened by partisan divides, and why we can't cooperate to end this pandemic, because exploitation and division are more financially profitable for some in the short term than sustainability and collaboration. Collectively, our endless pursuit of wealth and economic growth at all costs has sent us off the rails, our society rolling into the proverbial gutter like a bowling ball. We just can't seem to get the hang of it. There's nothing wrong with economic growth, per se, but a society can't make it its highest virtue, certainly not its only virtue, and you can't have limitless growth in a world of finite resources. We tend to think of freedom as an absence of limits, but it's actually, uh, it's actually the other way around. If freedom is an absence of limits, I mean, yes, that's why I insist on bowling without the bumpers, because I want to do it my way, to succeed or fail on my own merits. But limits and constraints are what ensure our collective survival, whether those are mask mandates or economic restraint. In a powerful essay about his own conversion to Christianity titled The Cross and the Machine, writer Paul Kingsnorth speaks about this beautifully. I realized that a crisis of limits is a crisis of culture, he writes. And a crisis of culture is a crisis of spirit. Every culture that lasts, I suspect, understands that living within limits, limits set by natural law, by ecological boundaries, by cultural tradition, is a cultural necessity and a spiritual imperative. There seems to be only one culture in history that has held none of this to be true, and it happens to be the one we're living in. I went to see the doctor last week for my annual checkup, and as they were signing me in, the receptionist confirmed that I still worked at the church. I have your job title listed as senior patient, she said. <laughs> Not senior pastor, but senior we both had a good laugh at that, but, you know, it struck me as true, in a sense. 
See, the church really is a kind of asylum. I know the word has a negative connotation, conjures up unpleasant images of people in straitjackets and padded cells. That's not the kind of asylum I'm talking about. I'm talking about a place of rest, healing, and respite, and truth. Not a madhouse, but rather a sanctuary from a mad world. It's a place where we can, like Jesus, be compassionate and radically reasonable. It's a place where we hear good news, which is sorely lacking in the world beyond these walls. And the good news is this, friends. Jesus offers a cure, an antidote, for everything that ails us. A lot of folks just don't want to take it. And the cure is this. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Least of all, the sacrifice of human beings or the planet that we live on. Love your neighbor more than what's in their wallet, and the rest will fall into place. In the words of Jesus, go and learn what this means. It's the sick who are in need of a physician, and we are among them. Conditioned to a world where soul sickness is endemic, viral. We are all patients here, myself included. I may be the senior patient, but I'm in need of Jesus' healing as much as anyone else. I think we can be healed here, restored, cured of our conditioning. And maybe then we can do our part to heal this sick world. Amen.